Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Father God, we ask you to bless this conference and bless the speakers uh, that will continue to come in and give us messages of hope and encouragement. We ask you, dear Lord, to help us become the priest, prophet, and king that you call us to be. And we know that we can do these things through the help and protection and guidance of our Blessed Mother. And so we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Presentation 
on the boat, the priest is on his own because I was the sheen expert. And I realized after talking to seminarians starting in 2012 that they were no different than me. They were young men in a search for God, trying to become holy and to live a priestly life. And so reading this book, The Priest is Not His Own, there's 17 chapters, and I'm not going to go through all 17, I'm just going to highlight about three or four, because they make a great deal of sense to us. Chapters would be such as spiritual generation, the holiness of a priest, the priest as preacher and prayer, and a prayer warrior, and how to make a holy hour. And so I thought, when I started to read through this, I thought, it means a lot to us men to do this. The first thing I think of is that Sheen writes about the spirit of preaching and prayer. Preaching and prayer. This conference is called Step Up. How can I step things up? But I think of Archbishop Lipton, I think of the priests that are here with us today. They made a promise when they were ordained and they were in the seminary to read their breviary every day. They made that commitment. They said, we're going to do this. And uh, again, God loved them. That's a beautiful promise to make the Lord. And you can see by Archbishop Lippin's words, he loved the Word of God. He's encouraging us to read the Word of God. But we as laymen sometimes take the easy road out. Do we really spend time to read the Bible? Do we spend time to pray? And so I've gone to many men's conferences over the years, and you pick up tips. I'm here to give you a few tips today. That's my role, is to give you a few ideas to maybe help you step up your game. But David Gilbert mentioned something about Father Larry Richards, and he's a very popular men's speaker. He has lots of great books. And he challenges the men. He says this. Uh, I always like to say, double dog dare you. You know, there are guys who say, I double dog dare you to do this. But he would challenge the men to say, here's the deal. It's called the Bible before breakfast, Bible before bed. That we as men are not allowed to have breakfast until we have read the Bible for five minutes. We're not allowed to get in those covers unless we've read the Bible before we get to bed. A simple challenge to the men that has changed men's lives all over the country. That's simply, not, the first thing I want to do is eat. Of course, I wake up and say I want to breakfast, but to develop a discipline of reading the Bible before I eat, kind of just, again, a real beautiful commitment to God to say, I'm going to be fed with food, but I need to be fed from the Word of God. And so there's that challenge. So that, I'll leave that with you. I care of Father Larry Richards. Bible before breakfast, Bible before bed. It's harder than you think sometimes, you know, because we're creatures of habit. But one of the double dog dairy moments in my life was with my friend when we were, this about 20 years ago. He, uh, we are talking to each other, we were challenging each other, and he said, he said, give me a challenge, I want a challenge. And so I challenged him to read the Bible every morning before breakfast and the Bible before bed. And he says, okay, I'll take you over the challenge. But then I said, no, I want to double-dog dare you. And so he double-dog dared me to get on my knees. The minute I wake up, to drop on my knees at the foot of my bed and to give God thanks and to say a few prayers. And he says, you can't get into that bed at night until you drop down on your knees and give God thanks and praise. A simple little act of faith 
But that challenge they made to me 20 years ago to drop down on my knees the minute I wake up and just before I go to bed. And it put me in the right mindset. It put me in this, uh, I want to say, lined up, as Archbishop Lepin said, getting down on your knees is a great act of humility. I know that for me as a married man, I think my wife was looking at me all the time saying, what's my husband doing? He's on his knees again. But when a wife sees her husband on his knees praying for his family, asking for God's blessing, there's something very beautiful there. So again, a double dog dare you. And you're not a double dog dare me later through the day and come up to the table and talk. But I would double dog dare you just that simple to drop down to your knees when you wake up. And to, of course, before you go to bed, you have to be on your knees invoking God's blessing and asking for his help. A simple thing, but really, when you talk to men, you say, tell me about your prayer life, tell me about what you do. A lot of times, we're just getting preachers to have it. We just get up, we get our coffee, we go. And then we'll start thinking of God maybe through the day. So, again, simple disciplines. This chapter that Sheen wrote in the book, The Priest is on his own, about the spirit of preaching and prayer. And with that mind of preaching, really, I think, as we read the Word of God, we become more familiar. I think sometimes as Catholics, we, you know, we really can't uh, look at what the Protestants do, and they, of course, love the Word of God. And they can quote scripture, chapter, verse. We as Catholics know our Bible. We've been hearing the Word of God every day at Mass, as long as we've been alive. And so, we hear the Bible a great deal, so we know the Word of God. We just can't quote chapter and verse. But don't be ashamed of that. And of course, you can share those Bible stories with your friends, your family. So the Word of God is put into our souls, of course. But we are the beneficiary of going to Mass, so that the more we learn the Word of God and become familiar with it, the easier it will be to preach the Word of God. Sheen talks about this idea of spiritual generation. And I think as men, this is something that we need to take into heart. We are actually called to be fathers. And, you know, I always think of Judgment Day. I, I meditate every day on uh, my dad. It's kind of a momentum warrior. It's a legend practice that many of us might be familiar with. And to know that I'm going to die. And I know that when we die, there's judgment. And the Lord's going to be asking us questions. One question that he's going to ask that I think, that I think sometimes just strikes fear in our hearts, but is that question he's going to say, show me your children. Show me your children. But again, as priests, I mean, naturally as a father, I have three children. I have four grandchildren. I can always say to you, here's my three kids, here's my four grandchildren. But spiritual generation. Am I trying to bring people to the Lord? Am I trying to do that? Am I spiritually adopting children, young people, even the elderly? Am I trying to bring them to Christ? Because I think this is something that we have to take to heart as men and as priests. One of the best descriptions of a priest I ever heard was in a book I read by Father Brent Brennan. It's entitled to save a thousand souls. And he said, a priest is someone who brings Jesus to the people and then in turn brings the people
people to Jesus. He brings the people, he brings Jesus to the people, and then he shows them how to bring the people to Jesus. And I thought, what a beautiful description of a priest. And that's what we're called to do in our priesthood, is to bring Jesus to the people and help bring the people to Jesus. And maybe if I have to make t-shirts, I'd love to do that, you know. This is my mission as priest, is to bring Jesus to the people and help bring the people to Jesus. So again, this spiritual generation. I love that we have, a, of course, the child Jesus with arms stretched out. I think one thing that we need more of in our lives now is pictures of children because it develops in us this tenderness that we need to think about being fathers, having a spiritual generation. Pictures of children. I love having uh, the infant of Prague looking upon the child Jesus. I think it's a very good therapy and I would highly recommend it. But if you don't have a picture of the child Jesus or the infant of Prague, then you get it. Because I think we need to look upon children to keep our hearts in the right perspective. We're called to be fathers. We're called to be fathers. One of the chapters that she talks about is the holiness of the priest. And we always think of, how do I become holy? And I think it's, as Archbishop Lepin was saying, is that it has to be something that consumes us. We're always thinking about God. Why was I created? The Catechism teaches us to know God, to love Him, and to serve Him in this life, and to be happy with Him in the life to come. That's, that's the reality. We're to get to know God, to love Him, to serve Him in this life, and to be happy with Him in the life to come. But He asks us to be holy. He asks us to be holy. David was kind enough to share his personal testimony about his struggles with impurity and how he claimed the victory. He gave, of course, testimony to the victory that God helped him in his life. And people always ask me, you know, Al, do you have any tips for me? Because uh, I'm struggling with, you know, impurity. And I would just say, a lot of times, what helped me a big deal was it's this game of mind over matter. It's this, uh, the world against us. And we know that the world is against us. We're challenged. Our eyes. I mean, God made us hungry, thirsty, and we desire what we desire. It's just a natural, it's the way God made us. I want to thank Him for that. Because if we didn't eat, we didn't drink, we'd die. And if we weren't attracted to the opposite sex, we'd have no children, and the, the world would die too. So, you know, I thank God for how He made men, how He made us. But again, he's asking us to control our passions, to have dominion over that, and to control our minds and our hearts. And so one saying that came to me that changed my life was this one question. He said, it was a teacher of mine, he says, when you look at a woman, ask yourself this question. Is that someone's daughter or somebody's wife? Is that somebody's daughter or somebody's wife. Because we know that the Lord usually again will give us one wife. One, he made three billion women. There's three billion women out there. But generally, we have to pick one and say no to everything else. But still, that question, is that someone's daughter or somebody's wife? 
I'm blessed. I have three children. I have two beautiful dogs. They're 29 and 28 years old, and I had to deal with all the young men knocking on the door uh, for 17 years, it seems. And of course, uh, the Lord's blessed me with uh, a beautiful wife. And I'm not saying that the neighbors coming over knocking on the door, you know, but uh, still, it's this idea is that I wanted to somehow talk the talk and say, men, stay away from my daughters, stay away from my wife. I had to walk the walk and have that same uh, sense of responsibility that when I looked at others, that someone's daughter, that someone's wife. So that really helped me a great deal. And then when I opened the Word of God and read the commandments, what is the ninth commandment? Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. And the tenth commandment is thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's goods, including his daughters. And so, again, what did Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So some people say that. It's just, I try to praise God. I mean, I drive a work truck all day long, constantly seeing tons of women, and I just keep honking my horn internally. Yea, God, yea, God, way to go. So give God praise. It will help you. I'm not saying it's the answer, but it's something just to maybe to, for you to think about. But of course, the sacrament of confession, uh, of course, holy mass, all the graces help a great deal. But again, the purity of the priest. I think of uh, Sheen wrote about making a holy hour, and I think we don't, we live busy, busy lives. Our schedules are, are full, and we fall into the trap of not scheduling the Lord. You know, I think we all try to say we're doing our best, but our days are getting away from us. And Archbishop Sheen spent 62 years of his life making a holy hour. Uh, again, he made this promise when he was a seminary. Uh, he heard the story of a young girl in China who the communists broke into the church, they smashed the tabernacle, desecrated it, and the host went on the floor. And they seized the priest. The communist authorities seized the priest and put him in prison. And the priest knew there was 33 hosts that were on the floor. And this young Chinese girl, every night, snuck into the church and consumed one of the hosts. And she did that for 33 days straight. And on the very last day, when she consumed the very last host, the authorities found the girl and they killed her. And Archbishop Sheen said to himself, if that little girl can have that much love and devotion for the Eucharist, I can too. And he made that promise to make a holy hour every day of his life. And he did that faithfully for 62 years. And so then I look at this thing of my own life saying, how can I do that? Being, working, family, commitments. So I realized that I may have to break it up. And the holy hour doesn't, for a lot of us, a lot of the churches are closed and maybe difficult to come and spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. But we could, again, make our holy hours at home. We can make little visits. But it's that idea of we're willing to give an hour of our schedule up for God. And it's something that I challenge many men too to say, it may be 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, but again, if we're asked to tithe, and I always think of tithing, a lot of times we get hung up on the finances. Okay, I made a thousand dollars and give God five bucks. But God gave us this gift of time. 
And so, am I giving God 10% of my day? Am I tithing with that in my talents, my treasure? So again, it's something to say, yeah, I should be giving God at least two hours a day. If, you know, I'm trying to follow a rule, rule of tithing. But again, it's this idea of the importance of the holy hour. The importance of why are we created? To know God, to love Him, to serve Him in this life, and to be happy with Him in the next. Uh, there is something very powerful about starting to listen to the Lord. I always think of that. Saying, Speak, Lord, your servants listening. But a lot of times I think we say, Listen, Lord, I'm speaking to you. I need some help here. But uh, spending time with the Lord, making time. So if you haven't, you know, if you're not um, practicing a holy hour, again, I recommend that you do that. There's one chapter in this book, The Priest is on His Own, that talks about the priest and his mother. And I think one thing I've learned in all these years is I resisted Mary for many, many years. I'm, I'm a cradle Catholic. I, I was born into a small Catholic family of 12 children, you know. <laughs> I've never had a bed of my own. This <laughs> morning I married a shared bed So it's, you know, I've got this, this life of 12 children, sharing, and uh, you just learn how to roll with the punches. It's, uh, I thank my Lord, I thank the Lord for my parents who gave me this gift of being one of 12 children. But, um, again, we prayed the rosary every night as a family at 7 o'clock. We all gathered around, and all 12 of us, um, 14, I should say, <laughs> uh, all of us prayed the rosary. But it was kind of half, half by end. I think we did it because of beauty. I just didn't really understand that devotion to Mary until I got older. And then I started to realize that to be formed as a Catholic gentleman, we look to Christ, who of course is Jesus the High Priest, who laid down his life for us. He went to the Blessed Mother to be formed by her. If I want to become a Christian, who better to form me than Mary? to really just spend time with her, to trust in her. And so over the years, I've warmed up to Mary to the point where, as St. John took her into his home, you know, after the crucifixion, Mary went to live with John. I challenge you to have that same idea, to take her home with you, to involve her in your supper meals, when you're on the computer, all these things. You have to live this experience as she is your mother, and she'll help you with your priesthood. She will. But again, we need to invite her into our lives and uh, be vulnerable to have another mother in our lives. I think as men, we resist people's opinion, uh, influence sometimes, but to trust in her. She is the refuge of sinners, and we are sinners. So again, the priest and your mother. This whole idea of priest, prophet, and king, and so I think we want to move more and more over to uh, the king side of this talk. The prophet side is easy. Whenever I read about the prophets, y'all got killed. So it's like, you speak, you preach the gospel, you're going to get killed. Um, so it's a very short talk, but you have to preach the gospel. We have to. We cannot deny Christ. Uh, but again, practicing, reading the Word of God, it'll become more comfortable. Become more comfortable. I, 
you know, I'm blessed in that my work clothes that I wear have a pray trust on worry on the back and the words gas in it. So it's a conversation starter. When I'm fixing someone's gas fireplace, they're reading on the back and the back of their shirt, pray trust on worry. And it's great when you start talking about the Lord, talking about faith. Uh, because I think people do want to talk about it. There's something in our hearts that we want to talk about it. Uh, but how do you get the conversation started? Sometimes a t-shirt, a hat, can start a conversation. But I think of that term king, and I'm not much of a history buff, but when I read history, the kings were the warriors. They led everything in battle. They led by example. And so we have to become fighters if we're to be kings. And I think of that spiritual warfare and those battles. But I think of the king and how the king had a royal court. He had his trusted advisors. And we have trusted advisors too that we go to. And I think of the angels, the church militant, the church suffering, and the church triumphant. I'm a tradesman. It's all about the tools. It's all about what you have in your, your tool pouch to help you get the job done, the different drills. But God, in His great providence to us and His great generosity, has given us the church militant, the church suffering, the church triumphant, and the angels to help us uh, to be the advisors to the King. And so this conference is called Step Up. So I just wanted to challenge you to step some things up. And we talk about the angels. And a lot of us are now starting to pray the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. Uh, some parishes, I know the diocese that I belong to, uh, actually say that prayer at the end of every Mass. The prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. And we need to invoke St. Michael in this battle to help us. And so let's uh, let's pray. That prayer, we can pray that prayer together as a, as a group. So please join me as we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Say, Michael, we are the angel, defend us in battle. We are the innocence and wickedness of sin and death. May God rebuke you and become your prayer. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into the hell's secret thing, and all the spirits, one power of the Lord, seeking you for souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. That powerful, powerful prayer of St. Michael, we need to pray it off, not just once a day, maybe three, four, five times a day, because this, the devil never gets up and never sleeps, so we need to keep praying. I want to challenge you on your guardian angel, and, uh, you know, think of the story of St. Padre Pio and how he played checkers with his guardian angel, and he thought everybody would play checkers with the guardian angel, and so when he went to school, he realized he had something very special. But what do we do with our relationship with our guardian angel? I pondered that a great deal, because I remember as, as a child, it was kind of like, oh, your guardian angel's going to protect you from falling out of the tree. And, uh, you know, when you're on a bicycle, and when I was 20 years old, my motorcycle, and, you know, so. But it was always this fairy tale in a way, until I realized it was this gift that God gave me, the guardian angel. And so when you. Break down that prayer that we pray, angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side, to light, to guard, to rule and guide. Rule and guide. 
And your guardian angel is here to help you rule and die. I need to help by you guys. I know you do too. And yet we don't call on our guardian angels enough. Because sometimes we've put that relationship with our guardian angel into our childhood and not into day-to-day -day life. So I would challenge you to reacquaint yourself with your guardian angel. Maybe it's playing rock, paper, scissors on the way home with your guardian angel. Like, I don't know, but uh, it's just an idea. But still, to really trust your guardian angel to say, help me to rule and guide. Because I think we all have an interior voice. Some degree we always talk. We, our guardian angels. Again, it's something God gave us this gift of our guardian angel. I don't think we use it enough. And so I would challenge you to, again, reacquaint yourself if you don't already have a devotion and a bit of a conversation with your guardian angel. To trust your angel. I think of the saints, of course, and uh, we're blessed to have relics. We're blessed to have many good books on the lives of the saints. And I remember I have a, a devotion to a saint that's a blessing, the blessed Francis Xavier Silos. Uh, came from Germany, went to the United States, and worked with the youth. And he challenged the youth, he says, I want you to spend a whole month with a saint. A whole month. And he challenged me, I think, not just to read the lives of the saint, but to study that saint every day for 30 days. And by the end of the month, we'll really get to know who that saint is. And at the end of the year, you'll have 12 new friends. And I always say, show me your friends, and I'll show you who you are. Follow your friends with gangsters, you're going to be a gangster. But if your friends are saints, there's a good chance you'll become a saint. And I think we fall in as Catholic gentlemen that we all know the lives of the saints. We kind of know the little stories, but are we spending time studying the saints? I mean, St. Joseph is one of my favorites, and I've read many books on St. Joseph, but it really helped me to appreciate him and to uh, understand his journey and to draw hope and encouragement from his story. And it's the same with all saints. St. John Bosco. Spend 30 days with St. John Bosco, and you'll understand the value of his relationship with Mary. You'll understand his sickness. He suffered a great deal with his health. He had to constantly beg for his little postulates. And so I can relate to what St. John Bosco goes through because I took the time to spend 30 days with him. So I'm challenging you to spend a little bit more time with the saints. And the more you know the saints, the more encouraged you'll be. Because they all attained heaven, but they had to struggle to get there. And we can learn from their struggles. So again, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. Spend some time with the saints and learn their life story. And read their books. A lot of the saints have good books. You know, I think of the church suffering, uh, the Holy Souls of Purgatory. How many of us on days pray to the Holy Souls of Purgatory? One or two, I mean, it's kind of an untapped resource. And uh, I pray a day of the rosary every morning for the Holy Souls of Purgatory. It's kind of a pact that I have with them. So I realized 20, 30 years ago that the Holy Souls of Purgatory uh, is the, are the secret weapons. The secret weapon in the sense that 
It's I scratch your back, you scratch mine. The Holy Souls of Purgatory are looking for help. So our prayers help them relieve their suffering and they move up. And you can just imagine a Holy Soul in Purgatory being released from Purgatory. And he's now before the beatific vision, he's with the Lord. Do you not think that that soul is going to want to thank and help someone who helps him get out of Purgatory? I think there's a great spiritual benefit there. So, not to say I scratch your back, you scratch mine, but we're in this together. And not only do I pray for the Holy Souls in Purgatory, I ask their advice. Because the Holy Souls in Purgatory have suffered and are paying a penalty for their sins. So I pray that the Holy Souls in Purgatory warn me. Warn me that I won't fall into the same traps that they did. And so it's very important. So again, the Holy Souls in Purgatory, the Church is suffering uh, that we sometimes forget about. So I do invite you and challenge you to have a devotion to the Holy Souls of Purgatory, ask for their help. I think of the church, um, is the church triumphant, the church, the church knows that, hey, that's you and me, that's you and me, and so let's rely on each other's help. Amen. Irish Heavens Ireland, we're here together. I know I'm going to learn a great deal from many of you, and hopefully you might learn one or two things from me. But again, we need to rely on each other and use the, again, the church militant. I think of Archbishop Sheen and how he said, unless souls are saved, nothing is saved. Unless souls are saved, nothing is saved. Do we really value that? Is this about saving our souls or helping other people to save their souls? These are something that, again, what we wake up to every day. The title of the book that she wrote is The Priest is Not His Own. Our lives are not our own. They really are. They're not our own. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> it's this something. Again, Archbishop Sheen said, I don't want my life to be mine. I want it to be Jesus Christ. And if we give our will to God, all things are possible. So again, to become the priest, prophet, and king that God called us to be. I would recommend that we all read the armor of God that at some point you either photocopy it or you, you make it a part of your regular spiritual reading is that beautiful um, passage of the armor of God. And I'll end my talk reading that or sharing that passage from Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, again, I think it does a great deal for us that we know that we have to wake up every day and go to battle. And when we think about putting on the armor of God, I try to encourage people to envision the Blessed Mother putting on each and every piece for you. I love how my mother put my hat on and envision the Blessed Mother putting on your helmet of salvation, putting your shoes on as a child. You know, your mom always helped you with your shoes. Let her put on her shoes in peace. Again, as she puts on the breastplate of righteousness, you know, her putting it on for you. So I've always found envisioning the Blessed Mother helping me put on the armor of God helps a great deal. So let me share this passage. Again, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 19. Finally, build up your strength in union with the Lord and by means of his mighty power. 
Put on all the armor that God gives you so that you will be able to stand up against the devil's evil tricks. For we are not fighting against human beings, but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers, authorities, and demonic powers of this dark age. So put on God's armor now. Then, when the end day comes, you will be able to resist the enemy's attack. And after fighting to the end, you will still hold your ground. So stand ready with truth as a belt. Tight around your waist, with righteousness as your breastplate, and as your shirt with the readiness to announce the good news of peace. At all times carry faith as a shield, for if you for it for with it you will be able to put out all the burning arrows shot by the evil one, and accept salvation as a helmet and the word of God as the sword which the Spirit gives you. Do all this in prayer, asking for God's help. Pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. For this reason, keep alert and never give up. Pray always for all God's people. Can something to ponder, we need to put on the armor of God read our Bibles, to know that we have been called to a spiritual battle. Jesus is our model. He is both priest, prophet, and king. And so he's, he's the one that we look to for his holy example. To be the priest, prophet, and king God calls to be. Man, I would hope that at the end of this day and for many days to come, we will always say, I love my priesthood. I love the priesthood that God gave me. And so may we cherish the priesthood. And may you become the priest, prophet, and king that called you to be.